I had seen him for the first time some four years before. From the bridge of a steamer, moored to a rickety little wharf, forty miles up, more or less, a Bornean river. It was very early morning, and a slight mist, an opaline mist, as in Bespera Gardens, only without the fiery flicks on roof and chimney-pot from the rays of the red London sun, promised to turn presently into a woolly fog. Barring a small dug-out canoe on the river, there was nothing moving within sight. I had just come up yawning from my cabin. The Sarang and the Malay crew were overhauling the cargo chains and trying the winches. Their voices sounded subdued on the deck below, and their movements were languid. That tropical daybreak was chilly. The Malay quartermaster, coming up to get something from the lockers on the bridge, shivered visibly. The forests above and below and on the opposite bank looked black and dank. Wet dripped from the rigging upon the tightly stretched deck awnings, and it was in the middle of a shuddering yawn that I caught sight of Almayer. He was moving across a patch of burned grass, a blurred, shadowy shape with the blurred bulk of a house behind him, a low house of mats, bamboos and palm leaves, with a high-pitched roof of grass. He stepped upon the jetty. He was clad simply in flapping pyjamas of creton pattern, enormous flowers with yellow petals on a disagreeable blue ground, and a thin cotton singlet with short sleeves. His arms, bare to the elbow, were crossed on his chest. His black hair looked as if it had not been cut for a very long time, and a curly wisp of it strayed across his forehead. I had heard of him at Singapore. I had heard of him on board. I had heard of him early in the morning and late at night. I had heard of him at tiffin and at dinner. I had heard of him in a place called Pulo Laut, from a half-caste gentleman there who described himself as the manager of a coal-mine, which sounded civilized and progressive till you heard that the mine could not be worked at present because it was haunted by some particularly atrocious ghosts. I had heard of him in a place called Dongola, in the island of Celebes, when the Raja of that little-known seaport—you can get no anchorage there in less than fifteen fathom, which is extremely inconvenient—came on board in a friendly way with only two attendants, and drank bottle after bottle of soda water— on the after-skylight, with my good friend and commander, Captain C. At least I heard his name distinctly pronounced several times in a lot of talk in Malay language. Oh, yes, I heard it quite distinctly. Almayer, Almayer, and saw Captain C. smile, while the fat, dingy Raja laughed audibly. To hear a Malay Raja laugh outright is a rare experience, I can assure you and I overheard more of Almayer's name among our deck passengers, mostly wandering traders of good repute as they sat all over the ship, each man fenced round with bundles and boxes, on mats, on pillows, on quilts, on billets of wood, conversing of island affairs. Upon my word I hear the mutter of Almayer's name faintly at midnight, while making my way aft from the bridge to look at the patent taffrail log, tinkling its quarter-miles in the great silence of the sea. I don't mean to say that our passengers dreamed aloud of Almayer, but it is indubitable the two of them at least who could not sleep, apparently, and were trying to charm away the trouble of insomnia by a little whispered talk at that ghostly hour, were referring in some way or other to Almayer. It was really impossible on board that ship to get away definitely from Almayer,
and a very small pony tied up forward and whisking its tail inside the galley, to the great embarrassment of our Chinaman cook, was destined for Almire. What he wanted with a pony, goodness only knows, since I'm perfectly certain he could not ride it. But here you have the man, ambitious, aiming at the grandiose, importing a pony, whereas in the whole settlement at which he used to shake daily his impotent fist, there was only one path that was practicable for a pony, a quarter of a mile at most, hedged in by hundreds of square leagues of virgin forest. But who knows? The importation of that barley pony might have been part of some deep scheme, of some diplomatic plan, of some hopeful intrigue. With Almire one could never tell. He governed his conduct by considerations removed from the obvious, by incredible assumptions which rendered his logic impenetrable to any reasonable person.